0: Uh, I was telling Chris earlier, you know, a lot of my notes look like a choose your own adventure story. So I'm um, trying to figure out where to go, what to do. And that's the beauty of um, really seeking the Lord and saying, hey, God, what do you want to say? Um, and so one of the things that was a theme that, uh, that, that came over, over and over again, or that I thought about was as uh, a quote, and it's not scripture, so don't stone me here. Um, but it's a quote by Henry Ford that says, whether you think you can or think you can't. You're right. And so it's a matter of how are we approaching what is in front of us? What, what perception, what, what are we looking at when we see our, our path? Um, and so uh, I have slides this time. So last time it was kind of boring. You just had to listen to me and look at me. But I do have slides this time. Uh, and I want to dedicate the, my first slide ever to Chris. Okay, do we have it? Let me see here. All right, Chris, this is for you, big guy. Thank you. <laughs> I know how you always somehow bring in a chiasm in, in all of your teachings, and I'm like, wow, I have to have that. I saw that, and I'm like, this is, that's got to be my first slide ever for, uh, for teaching. So, th- no, I'm not. But... <laughs> <laughs> Uh, but as I was reading and, and, and uh, looking up into all this stuff and all this stuff, the, the Numbers 13, this, the story of Joshua and and Caleb, uh, I did I did find and read that Numbers 13 actually starts a chiasm. And I didn't want I'm like, okay, but that's that's great. Lord has taken me somewhere else, and so I definitely wanted to um, uh, just start out with that. So I like to think of this: we are. On Numbers 13, I like to think of this as the story of Caleb and Joshua. Um, And forgive me if you hear me say Caleb and Jacob every now and then, because those are my children's names. Uh, And so we actually thought about naming um, Caleb's middle name Joshua uh, until he was born on Laura's grandfather's birthday. Uh, So we decided to take his namesake for his middle name. But um, so I'm a little biased about the name Caleb. Caleb. I'm a little biased. I love this story. I love um, the idea of of the promise. I know there's uh, some some not so good things that happen um, that we still feel the repercussions of today uh, from this story. Um, But um, I have my own Caleb. Uh, And so, but I can tell you this, uh, as I was reading the story, and I know who Caleb uh, is in this story, I think one of the reasons why I was drawn to even naming my son that Was because uh, to me it was important that I had a Caleb in my life. Um, I needed somebody in my life to stand next to me and just say, "You know what? (laughs) There might be giants in the land. It's okay. You got it. You know what? It's not going your way right now. It's fine. You got it. You know it looks difficult right now, but we. This is not. Don't let this." This define what God says, and so on purpose, selfishly, kind of wanted to name my first son Caleb because I knew that I would be reminded of this story of his approach to this story. There's a lot of different angles. There's a lot of different layers of, of what is involved in uh, in this parsha, um, and I wanted to focus on and look at, or not I wanted to, but as I was digging into this, I found that the Lord was drawing me and just reminding me about Caleb and Joshua's perspective in this whole scenario. Um, So we talked about it last night, even, the literal meaning of Caleb is dog. Uh, And then it actually, obviously, just like other names, they have multiple meanings. There's other, Caleb also means faithful. Uh, I can't think of actually a better meaning to go together, dog and faithful. Um, and then I also learned too that Caleb was actually, for, he represented the, four, uh, the tribe of Judah in this task. Um, kind of getting ahead of myself. Uh, just kind of assuming you kind of know a little bit of the story here and apologies about that. But 12 tribes, one representative of each tribe going into the uh, promised land right before they're about to, to head in there. And Caleb was a representative of the tri- tribe of Judah, but if you also read in the um, in, uh, in the scriptures, it says his ancestry comes from the Kenizzites, which is a family line of Esau or Edom. And so I'm like, huh, huh, mixed breed, is a Gentile. So I'm just, I'm kind of letting you. Sh- I'm kind of really what I'm doing is kind of showing you my thought process of how I'm kind of approaching this. And then I thought to myself, where have I heard that before? Gentiles, dogs, faithfulness. And I'm like, ah, it's in Matthew. In Matthew 15, 21 through 28, it says, And Jesus went away from there and withdrew to the district of Tyre and Sidon. And behold, a Canaanite woman from that region came out and was crying. Have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David. My daughter is severely oppressed by demon. But he did not answer her a word. And his disciples came and begged him, saying, Send her away, for she is crying out after us. He answered, I was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. But she came and knelt before him, saying, Lord, help me. And he answered, It is not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. And she said, Yes, Lord. Yet even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from the master's table. Then Jesus answered her, says, Oh, woman, great is your faith. Be it done for you as you desire. And her daughter was healed instantly. And so we go, wow, how cool is that? Great is your faith. Faithfulness, Caleb. Faithfulness, the opposite of fear, which is what the, uh, the struggle is in interpreting what the spies see when they go into the land. Faith is the door that she walked through that pleased Yeshua. And gave him permission to apply a heavenly blessing of redemption to her family. And in fact, uh, faith is mentioned in Hebrews eleven six as well. It says, without faith, it is impossible to please him. Whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. And then uh, Hebrews 11 goes on to talk about the heroes of our faith and their stories and why they were um, important to know and understand and how important faith is. Faith in God, faith in what God says, faith in his promises. It made me ask myself a question. Is faith really leading me when as I encounter obstacles in my daily life? Or have I asked God to give me a vision of what portion of the promised land is supposed to look like, what my portion is supposed to look like. Here we are praying every day that Yeshua comes to establish a millennial reign, to establish his kingdom, to, to bring forth and to redeem the land, to redeem us as people, to redeem them, um, just to be, a, to renew us. So what's my portion in that process? What is that look like? And by faith, am I preparing? Faith is action-based. It's not hope. It's not, you know, playing a lottery ticket and hoping I get it by faith. No, that's not it. Faith is hearing God's word and then planning for it, preparing for it, knowing that it doesn't exist now, but it will exist in the future, and that when it does exist, I have positioned myself to take fullness and grab a hold of it, and do everything that I can with what I've been given at that time. And are you preparing your heart and mind to walk in that and function in a capacity that God can use so that he can show people that don't know him what he looks like? What an honor. What an honor it is for us to share to a people that don't know him what he looks like through our faith and through our ability to hear him, and to put action in preparation of what is to come. So Torah portion shalak means to send. It's funny, the last time I spoke it was Torah portion bow, and that means go, or come. Come, send, come, send. So some teachings continue, though, with the word lecha is after that. So as I was reading, said shalak, and then all of a sudden I do a little YouTube search, or I do a, a search on say Torah portion shalak, just want to see what, what things are out there. And a lot of it came shalak laha, shalak laha. Okay. Then I asked myself again, huh, where have I heard that before? You ever play that game when you study? It's a good game. It leads you to uh, some fun discoveries. So start, where did I hear that before? Laha might sound familiar, it is the name of the third Torah portion, ending, uh, starting in Genesis chapter 12, Lech Laha. So this is Shelach Laha, but I wanted to go back, and like, okay, what does that say? So in Genesis chapter 12, verse one through three, as we see here, oops, let me go ahead and read it first, and then I'll read my notes, sorry about that. Now the Lord had said to Abram, get out of your country, From your family and from your father's house to a land that I will show you. I will make you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great, and you shall be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and I will curse him who curses you. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Of course, it's like the beginning of the land. The land is so important in the story. And when I play this game, where have I heard that before? It takes me to the very beginning of where that starts. And so I start reading and I start knowing, because I kind of know the story a little bit. I know that they reject the, uh, the opportunity to go in at this moment. And in the back of my mind, as I'm kind of thinking about this and reading about this, I thinking, why? Why would you do that? You've got all of these promises, what is it? So let's go through, I wanted to go through all the promises that were given. So we see God is calling Abram out from the wicked land around him and to a land that God will show him. And in that land, he will establish a nation for himself for the sole purpose of bringing a light to the world. Genesis 15, 7 says, And he said to him, I am the Lord who brought you out from Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land to possess. So we're building a case almost like afterwards. Say, hey, all of you spies, this is, these are things that God has promised us. So in Genesis 15, 18 through 21, it says, On that day the Lord made a covenant with Abram, saying, To your offspring I give this land, from the river of Egypt to the river to the great river, the river Euphrates, the land of the Kenites, the Kenizzites, the Kadmonites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Rephaim, the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Gershites, and the Jebusites. Whew. How'd I do on that? <laughs> so God coveted himself with Abraham and promised this land to his descendants. And that promise continues. As we look at Genesis 26, 1 through 5. It says, now there was a famine in the land beside the former famine that was in the days of Abraham. This is Isaac now. So all these promises were given to Abraham, and now he's given them to Isaac, um, confirming that this promise, this covenant, is still good. And And Isaac went to Gerar of Abimelech, king of the Philistines, and the Lord appeared to him and said, Do not go down to Egypt. Dwell in the land which I shall tell you. Sojourn in this land, and I will be with you and will bless you. For to you and to your offspring I will give this land. And I will establish the oath that I swore to Abraham, your father. I will multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven and will give to you, give to your offspring, all of these lands and in your offspring, all the nations of the earth shall be blessed. In Genesis 26, oh wait, it continues. <laughs> Sorry about that. Because Abraham obeyed my voice and kept my charge, my commandments, my statutes, and my laws. So during the famine, God confirms with Isaac that the land he is in at that moment is to belong to his descendants based on the covenant made with Abraham. So we're building a foundation of the promises of this land. Genesis 28, 1 through 4 Says Then Isaac called Jacob, and blessed him, and directed him, You must not take a wife from the Canaanite women. Arise, go to Padan Aram, to the house of Bethuel, your mother's father, and take as your wife from there one of the daughters of Laban, your mother's brother. God Almighty bless you and make you fruitful and multiply you, that you may become a company of peoples. May he give the blessing of Abraham to you and to your offspring with you, that you may take possessions of the land of your sojourners that God gave to Abraham. That you may take possession of the land. And then God continues to confirm the covenant in a dream to Jacob in Genesis chapter 28, 13 through 15. And behold, this is after he lay down, and we see the angels ascending and descending on the ladder, Jacob's ladder, as we call it. And behold, the Lord stood above it and said, I am the Lord, the God of Abraham, your father, and the God of Isaac. The land on which you lie, I will give to you and to your offspring. Your offspring shall be like the dust of the earth, and you shall spread abroad to the west and to the east and to the north and to the south. And in you and your offspring shall I shall all the families of the earth be blessed. Behold, I am with you and will keep you wherever you go and will bring you back to this land, for I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised you. Again, a promise that this land is for the descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and now Jacob, and that he will not leave them until he has done what he said. In Genesis 35, 9 through 12, God prepared, appeared to Jacob again. And when he came for Padam Iran, and blessed him, and God said to him, your name is Jacob. No longer shall you be called Jacob, but Israel shall be your name. So he called his name Israel, and God said to him, I am God Almighty, be fruitful and multiply. A nation and a company of nations shall come from you, and kings shall come from your own body. The land that I give to Abraham and Isaac, I will give to you, and I will give the land to your offspring after you. And then we'll end with Genesis 46, 1 through 4, where Jacob is old, there's a famine and he's about to go down to Egypt and God reaffirms. So Israel took his journey with all that he had and came to Beersheba and offered sacrifices to the God of his father, Isaac. And God spoke to Israel in visions of the night and said, Jacob, Jacob. And he said, here I am. Then he said, I am God, the God of your father. Do not be afraid to go down to Egypt for there I will make you into a great nation. I myself will go down with you to Egypt and I will also bring you up again and Joseph's hands shall close your eyes. So don't be afraid to go down because I'm, I'm bringing you back up. So we have all of these promises about the land and whose it is and whose it belongs to and what God desires to do with it. And so after reading this, we see a constant reminder of the promise of the land. So what happened? As, I, as should I ask, why would there be such pushback and fear in regards to this promise? What was so different from the ten spies compared to Caleb and Joshua? And so it made me think, um, what is it? How is it? How did they make decisions? How did they look at this? What's their approach? Um, have you ever heard of the phrase, facts don't care about your feelings? probably have heard about it. It's usually used in political talk. I'm not gonna go there. But sometimes, you know, facts don't care about your feelings. You know, you'll use it to prove your point when an argument brings something up. It can be difficult at times when you're trying to convince somebody of something. You've got all these facts. Somebody, hey, I wanna, I wanna fly. Great, jump out of the tree. The fact is you're gonna fall and hurt yourself even if you feel like you wanna fly. So you try to use, you know, some form of, of logic. Um, it can be frustrating when you can point out all these facts, I'm going somewhere with all this, and in your corner you prove your point, but the person that you're talking with just doesn't see it. They don't see the facts speak for themselves because they also, the opposite is true. Sometimes feelings don't care about your facts. There's basic understanding where I come from uh, buying, people buy, when people buy, they buy emotionally and justify it logically. In fact, emotion is the language of the unconscious mind. It's the first to arrive at the decision-making process and is our reaction to perceived and imagined simulations. So those that like to line up all your numbers and make sure that you make the correct decision for a house, a car, or something like that, promise you, there's something that's emotionally tugging you towards one or the other. And sometimes you can logically try to convince yourself to purchase what you're emotionally drawn to. So think about it this way. So the biggest emotion that dictates our decision-making process is fear. So imagine placing a plank of wood on the ground and walking its length a few times. You've mastered it. Now. Suppose you place that plank between two buildings, hundreds of feet in the air. You know you can walk it. Your emotions, your fear, will kick in. More than likely, overpower your knowledge of your ability to walk the plank. You've proven that you can walk the plank. Now change the scenario a little bit, and now emotionally, fear comes in and changes your decision to think that you can do it. So, if your facts don't tell a compelling story that the person you're trying to talk to you're trying to talk, you're trying to, you're trying to convince them. Here's what I'm saying. There's facts. The same facts that both sides of the camp came to the same conclusion. It is, it's full of milk and honey. It is, it's fertile. It is, there's giants in the land. It is, there's cities. They're like they agreed on all of the facts. One team, Of 10 decided to throw in a butt as they described what they saw. The other team, Caleb and and Joshua, I think, caught myself, decided to see that but also know what God's promises were. And so the difference of opinion with the same baseline set of facts, they have different opinions. Same facts. Facts don't care about your feelings. So, obviously, something was in their hearts. So, this is my mind, my thought process as I'm thinking through this and I'm dreaming what was in their hearts to cause them to know and understand God's promises of the land and then to see the glory and the goodness of the land and then to come back and just really blaspheme what God's word said. And it caused a lot of destruction. So, Let's start at the beginning here. And of course, like every, like every venture, you go ahead and you take, a, you take a picture, you take a snapshot. So here's the crew. I found this, I thought this would be like a nice little fun thing. All right, I'll give you like five seconds to find something wrong with this picture. And then I'll point it out myself if you can't. If you can't. These were the 12 men that were supposed to go and, somehow somebody's wife came in the picture, how did that happen? Women, would you actually want to go on a, on a road trip with, with, with 12 guys? <laughs> I thought that was funny. I wanted to show that. A little cartoon picture of the 12 spies. So what we're gonna, about to go in, about to go into the land. We're about to figure out what is the deal? What is the issue? What's their mindset? What's their, what are they thinking of? Um, so Numbers 13, 1 through 3, shalak laha, send for yourselves. So the Lord spoke to Moses saying, send men to spy out the land of Canaan, which I'm giving to the people of Israel from each tribe of their fathers. You shall send a man, everyone, a chief among them. So Moses sent them from the wilderness of Paran, according to the command of the Lord, all of the men who were heads of people who were all the men who were heads of the people of Israel. And so if we get a little background on this story, if we go to Deuteronomy chapter one, Moses kind of gives a little bit more it Says, see. The Lord your God has set, set the land before you. Go up, take possession, as the Lord, the God of your fathers, has told you. Do not fear or be dismayed. Then all of you came near to me and said, Let us send men before us, that they may explore the land for us and bring us word again of the way by which we must go, by the, which, by the way we must go up, and the cities into which we shall come. The thing seemed good to me, and I took twelve men from you, one man from each tribe. So it shows that initially, the purpose of the slaves was not God's idea, it was man's idea. In fact, the fact that the people wanted to go out and spy the land was an indication of their fear and distrust of what God was saying. The word actually spy in the Hebrew actually implies more of a seeking out, a touring, exploring, more like let's go tour this land. Moses' idea was more of sending the 12 spies to confirm what God has already said about the land. It also implies disapproval. Just because God allows it doesn't mean it's really his perfect will, but he'll work with you. That's the beauty of our God. As we're trying to figure out and take steps and do what's right and do the next thing, just go, just do it. It might not be his perfect will, but it will. he will make it perfect in the end. He will make it work worthwhile for you. And so they go, and they, um, they, they, uh, they travel, they spy out the land, they bring back fruit. I love this picture. If you can show the picture of the fruit. I don't know if it's on there. So this is a good idea. Eight men carried one piece of grape. Is that eight? Yeah. And so I got that from uh, the... Jaffa, if I the Jaffies. Hey, Jaffies. Jaffa family um, Parshaw uh, book. And it was such a good, good picture. And so uh, Numbers 13, 25-33 talks about what their conclusion is and what they experienced while um, spying out the land. I know they didn't use the word spy, but we understand it as a spy, a spy so I'm just going to continue to use that word. It says, at the end of 40 days, They returned from spying out the land, and they came to Moses and Aaron and to all the congregation of the people of Israel in the wilderness of Paran at Kadesh. They brought back word to them and to all the congregation and showed them the fruit of the land. And they told them, we came to the land to which you sent us. It flows with milk and honey, and this is its fruit. However, the people who dwell in the land are strong, and the cities are fortified and very large. And besides, we saw the descendants of Anak there. And the Amalekites dwell in the land of the Negev. The Hittites, the Jebusites, and the Amorites dwell in the hill country. And the Canaanites dwell by the sea and along the Jordan. But Caleb quieted the people before Moses and said, Let us go up at once and occupy it, for we are well able to overcome it. Then the men who had gone up with him said, We are not able to go up against the people, for they are stronger than we are. So they they brought to the people of Israel a bad report of the land that they had spied out, saying, The land through which we have gone to spy it out is a land that devours its inhabitants, and all the people that we saw in it are of great height. And there we saw the Nephilim, the sons of Anak, who came from the Nephilim. And we seemed to ourselves like grasshoppers, and so we seemed to them. So it devours its inhabitants. Actually, some of the sages say, that God caused many of the Canaanites to die during the spies' mission in order to divert the population's attention from the unwelcome Jewish spies. And also, they had no right to consider how the giants viewed them. It doesn't matter what they think. What did God say to go do? They should have had only one thought of their mission, not of what anyone else thought of them. What they didn't know was the Canaanites were actually scared of them. How do we know this? Well, Rahab tells us 40 years later. And Joshua 2, 8 through 11, says, Before the men lay down, this is our Haptorah reading as well, She came up to them on the roof and said to the men, I know that the Lord has given you the land, and that the fear of you has fallen upon us, and that all the inhabitants of the land melt away before you. For we have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea before Before, before you, when you came out of Egypt. Of course, the next two uh, events happened after they chose not to go in the first time. But Rahab is telling them, We've heard stories about you. We've been scared. We're, We're actually freaked out about you. Then why are we afraid of them? Especially if God is saying, That's yours. In fact, God is saying, That's my land. And I've covenanted with you, and in that covenant, you are to take care of it. So it's not anybody else's, but yours. So I think it's safe to say that their report was probably a reflection of their heart. Just like the Gospel of Luke tells us in chapter 6, 43 through 49. Let's stop at 45. The good man out of the good treasure of his heart brings out which is good and the evil man out of the evil treasure of his heart brings out that which is evil. For out of the abundance of the heart, his mouth speaks. You have to think about his heart, his mindset, his belief system. Out of his abundance, out of what he fills himself up with is what he speaks. And what he speaks is, that is, is basically what his actions are behind him. So we move on to chapter 14. One through five, we have national hysteria here. Then all the congregation lifted up their voices and cried and the people wept that night. All of the sons of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron and the whole congregation said to them, "'Would that we had died in the land of Egypt? "'Or would that we had died in this wilderness? "'Why is the Lord bringing us into this land? "'To fall by the sword? "'Our wives and our little ones will become a plunder, "'will become plunder. "'Would it not be better for us to return to Egypt?' So they said to one another, Let us appoint a leader and return to Egypt. Then Moses and Aaron fell on their faces in the presence of the assembly and the congregation of the sons of Israel. Man. Man, what a... What a I mean, you're spit in God's face. That's really what they did. Would it have been better if we were just slaves in Egypt? Okay. You're starting to get an idea of why... They chose not to accept the goodness of a land. It's almost like their mind is still stuck in Egypt. It doesn't matter how the ten plagues that God did to, to bring them out. It seemed like what God did for them stoked more fear in their enemies than it did in their own hearts. Because as we, as we learn from Rahab, everybody in the, in the land of Canaan Hearts melted when they heard of the stories of what God has been doing for them to bring them out of Egypt, to sustain them, to take them every step of the way. The sages teach this, that the leader would have been an idol, which is a telling indication that the sin of the spies involved a lack of faith in God. It is said that because the people indulged themselves in weeping without a cause— that God would establish this night for them as a time of weeping throughout the generations. Because we know that this is the night of the ninth of Av, that they came and gave the, the bad report. And the ninth of Av, as we know it, is a day of fasting and mourning because it's the day that both temples were destroyed. It will eventually become a day of rejoicing So, again, why the unbelief? Kind of have somewhat of, a, of an idea as we look at the fact that their desire, that should be fine on the recording, their desire, their focus, and their belief system is still stuck in Egypt. So, there were 430 years from the time God cut covenant with Abraham until the Exodus. Isaac was born 30 years later, and it was 400 years until the Exodus from Isaac's birth. Then Jacob was born, had 12 kids. Joseph was sold into slavery and went down to Egypt, and then the famine. It was the famine that caused the Israelites to move everyone down into Egypt, and they were in Egypt for 210 years, And then 94 years later, it was the death of Levi where the Israelites transitioned from citizens to slaves. So they were slaves for 116 years before the Exodus. So I say that, because I say it in today's terms, that would be 1907, started thinking about it. 1907, my dad's dad was born in 1919. And so from my family's point of view, from the way I've looked at this, That would be at least a minimum of four generations born in slavery, and our minds would have been programmed and trained that slavery is the normal way of life, and any other way of life was just not for me. In fact, uh, Myron Golden, who's a, a business mentor and consultant, talks about the poverty programming trap, and it's something I'm chewing on. He says that people will never behave consistently, that is inconsistent with their programming. In other words, your belief system will dictate your actions. Your programming, how you develop your belief systems, runs your subconscious mind, and in fact, success and failure are produced from the subconscious level. Very important. that 90% of your life's results come from your automatic mind, your subconscious mind. We start to build habits, and we just start to constantly repeat what we've programmed our minds to repeat. How do our minds get programmed? What do you watch? What do you listen to? What do your parents say? What do your grandparents say? Very important for us as parents to speak truth and speak God's life into our children. So then when we hear a truth that goes against our belief system, goes against what we're programmed, we reject it. It doesn't go along with our paradigm. When we walk into the promised land and we see all the goodness that God says we can have, we reject it. Because if there's something inside of us that doesn't believe that God says that we can do and have what God actually says that we can have. That's why you have to constantly stay plugged in to information and content that encourages and confirms your identity and purpose in God. It's why in Philippians, Paul tells us this in Philippians 4.8. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, Think about these things. And we have David that, that meditates day and night on the word of God because he knows he's going out into a world that is going to try to confront his belief systems. So it's hard to unplug from our old operating system. It's uncomfortable. In fact, have you ever watched someone that has mastered their craft it's actually pretty cool. They operate at a different level. It's really amazing to watch. I think about just playing, um, playing baseball at the college level. There were guys that just stood out. It was amazing. In fact, it was really cool. I got to take um, Caleb and Jacob. Okay, I can use those two names now. I got to take Caleb and Jacob to a, uh, to a baseball game. Um, Dallas Baptist was playing UNC Charlotte at Rice for the Conference USA Championship, Um, and I played my ball there at at DBU for about three years. And um, we sat front row, and they got to see firsthand a pitcher throw about 93, 94 miles an hour. And Caleb just looked at me and goes, whoa. Yeah, I don't think I could hit that. It's like, yeah, comes in pretty fast, doesn't it? I don't expect you to hit it, you're only 10. I couldn't hit it either, I'm 45. But it was a difference. He, he all of a sudden saw what, what that was about. And he couldn't hit it now, but I promise you, if you practiced and you trained and you reprogrammed your mind, it's not just thinking you can hit it. It's putting actions behind what you need to do to accomplish so that you can hit it when it does come you never know when God's going to call you to say and go, hey, here's a land I want you to go to. It's not my idea, but hey, if you want to go tour this land, let's say it was God's idea. Have you mentally prepared your mind for what God has in store for you? He wants us to take back things that the enemy has. I know there's a lot of people um, that talk about that seven mountains of culture. Not a lot of nice people are at the top of those mountains kind of controlling the direction of media, government, family, school, education, school education, same thing. But it's then it becomes this, are we afraid of success? Is more responsibility and accountability keeping us from moving forward? Are we self-sabotaging ourselves for not preparing for what God has for us next? And it's these questions right here that is why I needed a Caleb in my life. It's also why God gave me Laura as my wife. So I remember moments when I would come home from work. If you've ever seen Laura work the kitchen, it's amazing. She has everything prepared exactly at the same time. It's a gift. Doesn't matter if, hey, this takes five minutes to make, this takes 45 minutes to prep, and then 15 minutes to make, and this takes 20 minutes to make, and then you've got to put this. And It's like, doesn't matter at all. Whew. Comes out at the same time. Um, and so I remember the, uh, moments I'd come home from work and, uh, Laura cooked this incredible meal. It's, you know, the kind of meal that when you open the door, the, the aroma just gives you a big bear hug and says, come on in. It's time to just sit down and enjoy yourself. And I walk in there and she's working the room and she's doing this and she's putting this in here. And then I'm like, I, I have learned to not even ask if I can do anything to help. Cause that just interrupts her flow. And then she's got the, you know, she's glistening from the, from just all this hard work, and I'm just looking at her, I'm like, wow. I'm just thinking, oh, there's a lot of dishes I'm gonna have to clean after this meal. (laughs) So my mindset was wrong. I'm thinking, oh, I gotta clean all this up. Instead of, wow, look at this meal that I'm gonna be able to get to enjoy. Um, I want to finish with, uh, with this. I'm going to go ahead and finish with this. i got some other things that I was going to, to quote. But I want to finish with this in the humash it says the basis for the spies' error. The question remains how the spies, great men and leaders of the nation, could have sinned so grievously especially when two of their numbers were telling the truth. The Jewish people were about to enter a new type of existence. In the wilderness, they had been surrounded by miracles. Their food, their protection, the freshness of their clothing, everything had been miraculous. Upon their imminent entry into the land, all of this would change. They would be required to live natural lives, to subsist through plowing, planting, commerce— And their new mission would be to live this way without ever forgetting that it is God's blessing, not the sweat of their brows, that assures success. Furthermore, the spies understood that Israel would have to conquer the land through natural means. They erred in thinking that they would have to be strong enough to conquer and thrive in the land without any help from God, and concluded that they surely would be helpless against a race of giants, impregnable cities in living conditions suited only to the very hardy people." So in other words, they had to level up and they were afraid. They had to do things they've never done before. They had to beat somebody they've never been before. They didn't put their trust in God. They slandered his name by not believing in what he said. And this caused a whole generation of people to die in the wilderness, which is ironic because their complaint was that God had sent them into the land to go die. Their fear and complaints they spewed came right back at them and they did what they said they would do. It's like how we started. Whether you think you can or think you can't. Yeah, you're right. Let me pray. So God, thank you so much for for who you are. Thank you that you have put a calling in our lives. Thank you that you have given us something that we're actually going to need your help to accomplish so that we can lean into you, that we can be forced to live and hear your voice so that we can walk in your promises. God, may we look at the promised land and not be intimidated by any giants that might try to tell us that this land is not ours. It is ours. May we walk with a confidence and may we know that we will walk in the fullness of everything that you've given us and be a light in the world. It's in Yeshua's name that we pray. Amen. Thank you for joining us. If you enjoyed this message, please consider sharing it with a friend or family member and help us out by giving a review on iTunes or other podcast platform. Check out our website at walkingemmausroad.org for additional teachings and information about visiting Emmaus Road in Kingwood, Texas.